We're going to look at a passage in the Bible in the book of Romans. And so if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn to it. I'm going to read it out loud. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through to verse 26. Romans 3, 21 to 26. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption uh, that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, I know there are some really big words in that one, and uh, you would be excused for thinking, Simon, I don't quite get what it talks about, but hopefully I will unpack what that is talking about. Now, I'm going to talk about something called salvation. Yeah? I'm going to talk about something that is actually biblical salvation because across the world there are other people who will say if you want to get right with God then this is the way to do it but we believe that the right way is found in the Bible uh, and I would argue really strongly that this is the only way and prayed that prayer this morning that Jesus is the way the truth and the life. He is the only way, he is the only truth, and he is the only life, and that will hopefully become clear as we go. Um, words like righteousness, we don't use a lot these days. Have you noticed? You don't go around, maybe if you're rapping, you know, or if you're in a certain culture, you go, hey man, that was righteous. Um, but we tend not to use the word righteous much these days. There are other words, prophets. What do we mean when we're talking about the prophets? Well, we're talking about those that God has sent in previous generations who tell us what God wants us to hear. And then we've got this big word, atonement. Anybody know what atonement means? Okay. Atonement is that someone has made a sacrifice to cover up a wrong for someone else. Yeah. So atonement is there. Actually, a lot of religions have some form of atonement. If you go into India with Hinduism, you make sacrifices at the temple. It's, it's there to get rid of sin. Most forms of belief have that. The question is how effective the atonement is. Because even though a lot of people are offering atonement, it's a bit like the adverts on TV for what will get rid of heartburn and everybody's got their brand, but which one actually works? Righteousness is the one I want to focus on a bit this morning because that is really important. And this is what righteousness means. The righteousness of God speaks to God's character specifically in regard to his consistency between his revealed will 
and his actions on behalf of his people. What does that mean? It simply means this, that God always acts entirely within his own requirements. You might think, well, that sounds a bit odd. Well, let me contrast that for a moment. This week in the newspaper, we've had all this stuff about Partygate, yeah? And Partygate is all about the government making a law and then breaking it, yeah? Now, that's unrighteousness. Righteousness is that God makes laws, but he keeps them. God is radically different to how we are on the earth because God is the one who is completely full of integrity and he operates within his own requirements. So nobody can ever point the finger and say, well, you're not doing it because God says, well, yeah, I am. God is righteous, and here's the challenge. Why, why is this important? Because God is righteous. He expects us to be righteous. You know, our government makes laws, not just our government, but other governments, they make laws, and their expectation is that we obey that, isn't it? I mean, you drive your car down the road, and there is an expectation that you're driving on the left, you're on the left part of the dotted line, that you're going a certain speed, that you're using your indicators, that you're observant, that you're doing all the things. That is the expectation that every country has within its laws. They give their laws, and those are the expectations. And God is righteous, and because he's the creator, there is an expectation that we behave in a way that he has decreed because he behaves like that. We are all judged on the righteousness of God, not on our own. Hey man, if we were judged on our own righteousness, imagine what would happen if we changed the laws to fit into the behaviour of our politicians. Just think about that for a moment. Or if we changed the rules in our nation to fit the behaviour of the people, we'd be in big trouble. I was woken up at 3am this morning with a car tanking it past the house and about two seconds later a blue lighted police car going straight behind. And I thought, yeah, you know, it just demonstrates that people do not live how they know that they should live. And so the opposite of righteousness is unrighteousness, but there's a much simpler word, it's called sin. Sin is when we break the rules that God has given to us. Now, let me be really clear here, God has never sinned. God is con entirely consistent with what he expects others to do, he does himself. That's why he's righteous. His actions are right. Part of righteousness is that our behaviour is right in terms of what we do all the time. It also talks about right standing, that we are in right standing with God. One of the things we celebrate at Easter is that the death of Jesus puts us in right standing with God. He makes us righteous. Now the passage also clearly says that all humans are sinful. We all short, fall short of God's standards. We all break God's commands in some measure. I mean, let's face it, if human beings can't keep their own rules, they're going to struggle to keep God's rules. Now, some will argue like this. They'll say, well, I'm not sinful. They'll say, well, I've not really done anything wrong in my life. You know, that phrase has been repeated over and over 
for thousands of years. But I want to ask this question, is that true? I came across uh, a statement on the internet that said that this individual believed that humans in general are really good. And I sat there for a moment. I had that, you know, that emoji that's kind of... I was kind of thinking, I thought, well, if humans in general are good, if we're not sinful, if we don't do anything wrong, then let me ask a question why we have some of these things around. Why is there a war between Russia and Ukraine if people are good? Did you know that England alone, not Wales and Scotland, just England, we abort 200,000 babies every year? 200,000. They're not given an opportunity to live. If you look at our entertainment, if you look at our video games and our movies, we watch stuff that is phenomenally violent and quite graphically sexually or has sexual immorality. One guy wrote and he said, if you took your TV and switched off everything that broke one of the Ten Commandments, you'd have a blank screen. So you've got to ask the question, if we are inherently good, why do we want to be entertained by things that are violent? People are greedy. In the UK, 1% of the population owns 25% of the nation's wealth. However, is that right? 1%. And that gap between the rich and poor has always been there, but it's getting worse year upon year. Let's look at world stewardship. How good are we at stewarding the world? Well, we've caused climate change. The Worldwide Fund for Nature estimates that between 2,000 to 10,000 species go extinct every year. Oh, I wonder whose fault that is. In 2013, the Centre for Social Justice determined that the level of addiction in the UK made it the addiction capital of Europe. That's the UK. That's us people. Woohoo! Hey, we don't do anything wrong. I could go on and on and cite examples of just how sinful we are as a humanity. I've not spoken about oppression or modern-day slavery. A couple of years ago, we had a slave ring broken just here in West Brom. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about deteriorating moral standards, but that is evidently there. Or the fact that when you talk to people, they feel unsafe in their own neighbourhood. Or the general nastiness that people often experience in society, in the shops. You know, people having a go at each other in the shop. Why? Because one person is in front of the queue and they shouldn't be or whatever else. It is really clear that something has gone drastically wrong. I find it amazing that for all of our knowledge, for all of our technological advances, humanity has not risen above its ancestors. You know, people will look back and say, oh, yeah, yeah. But you look at what we're doing today. Whether we like it or not, we are part of the human race. And that means we are contributing to all of the things that the human race does 
that is sinful. Let me repeat that phrase in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Not only is there sin in our history, there is sin in our present, and there's more than likely going to be sin in our future. It's really clear that sin is a major problem. And, and it should be noted that sin is destructive. Derek Tidball, he was a church leader and a scholar, he wrote this, sin is a problem in itself. Since it destroys both those who commit it and the social and physical environment in which they live. Sin is really bad. There are things that we do that are sinful that we do not realise just how harmful it is for our society. We see we've got two children in school and we can see how the declining moral standards is beginning to affect what occurs in school and what is taught. That has a massive impact. You know, it used to be that when we built houses, we built them for community. And so houses are in a big long row, you can see your neighbours over there and wave and next door, etc. They're now building houses in such a way that you can't see the front door of your neighbour. Why? Because actually we've killed community. We're killing family. The backbone of every society is the family unit. Once you just destroy the family unit, you begin to erode what society is and how it functions. And so we're in this really poor state where sin has a massive negative effect. And we ignore sin and that means we put ourselves in a really dangerous position. Now, so at this point, we kind of think, well, I'm not a murderer, and I'm not a thief, and I'm not this. Well, here's some, a statement made from Bishop Handley Moore. I love this statement. He said, the harlot, now this is going back some years. We don't use the word harlot. We'd probably say prostitute. Uh, the prostitute, the liar, the murderer are all short of God's righteousness. And then he says, but so are you. And it hits us between the eyes. We're all short of that standard. Sometimes we have this idea, well, but not little old me, I, I'm okay, you know. But then you ask, well, who's responsible? If it's not me, who is responsible? And so what we do is we begin to point the finger, well, it's the politicians. It's the crooks out there. It's the rich. It's the poor. It's this. It's that. It's the travellers. It's whatever. We point the finger. But once we start pointing the finger there is a kind of familiar, familiarity about that kind of behaviour. And we think back, hold on a minute, if we go back to Genesis, there are another few people who pointed the finger. Adam, what did you do? Well, it wasn't me, it was her. Eve, what did you do? Well, it wasn't me, it was a snake. And the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke day. You know, when we accuse other people, when we blame other people, we're just highlighting the fact that we're sinful. That we don't take that responsibility. Now, some don't care. Some say, well, who cares? I want to live. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to feel how I want to feel. I want to express myself the way I want to express myself. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. But let me tell you, there's an important reason you should. Now, my kids will like this word because they grew up with this word. And the word is very familiar and it's called 
consequences. My children's first phrase to one another was, there'll be consequences. <laughs> How many of you grew up with your parents saying, now if you do that, there are going to be consequences. You know, our sin provokes God to anger. Why does it provoke God to anger? Because he doesn't sin. Because he does the right thing all the time, and when we do something wrong, he is provoked to anger. Now you say, well, that's not very nice. Anybody here ever been provoked to anger? Somebody parked across your drive? Yeah? Anybody angry this week? Well, you know, we couldn't go to funerals, and we were in lockdown, and they were having a party. Well, I'm a bit angry about that. There are lots of things that make us angry and when we break God's commands he becomes angry. Now there is a, a, a big difference between God being angry and us being angry because God's anger is not a vindictive anger. It's not what we would call a capricious anger. Anybody remember that word capricious? Capricious means where there are sudden changes in mood and behavior. God's not like that. But God is very angry when we break his rules because it's wrong. That's why he's angry. And then we come to this unpleasant thing that there are going to be consequences. Remember my parents saying it to me, if you do that, there are consequences, and sure enough, there were. Some part of my body hurt at some point. <laughs> consequences are not pleasant. Now, we could argue that there should be no consequences. We could argue and say, well, actually, we shouldn't have any consequences. But if you think that through to the end, that is actually a really difficult way to live, and it doesn't lead to the kind of life that you want. You know, I meet people all the time who are really negative against the police. Oh, man, they're really bad. They're taking away my rights. They're not happy. But if somebody breaks into their home, they say, oh, I'm really glad the police are here. The family illustration is really apt here. We live in family units. And there are accepted behaviours. And when we overstep those boundaries, there are consequences to that. Now, for the parents to carry out the consequences of misbehaviour by children, does that mean they don't love them? Of course it doesn't. How many parents have had to discipline their children on the inside, it really hurts? You don't want to discipline your kids. But you know, there are consequences in terms of what we do. And it's not unloving behaviour from God. In fact, it's very loving behaviour from God. God is the one who has these amazing characteristics and he wants us as a human race to live with one another. And if we follow his rules, the world will get better, not worse. It is the turning our backs on God that has made it worse. And I have to be honest, I think we're going to find it's going to get a lot worse as we continue to turn our back on God and his commandments. What makes it so bad? Well, here's the consequence. The consequence for us, 
not obeying God is that at some point we will be cast out of his presence. Oh wow, big deal, no God. Let me tell you, God is the one who makes the sunshine. God is the one who brings rain that gives us a harvest. God is the author of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. These are all part of God and if you are cast out of God's presence, you lose all of those as well. When people say, oh, I wish God would leave us alone. You know, if he left us alone, we would have something called hell on earth. Can you imagine all love removed from the planet earth? All kindness, all goodness, all gentleness. Can you imagine if all of that is removed, what we would be left with? We would be tearing at one another and it would be hell. And so we need to be really careful before we kind of say, well, you know what, I don't really care. God can do what he wants. Because people who say that don't recognize that what they are experiencing is already in a measure some of God. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. But God is the one who makes it shine. And if God casts us out, then that sun will no longer shine where we are. That's why there is darkness. The old translations used to say, there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because God is not there. Now, is there a solution? I know I've spoken at length about sin. I've spoken at length about the consequences. But is there a solution? And the answer is yes. And most of you will know what that answer is. The answer cannot be found in human beings. We do not have what it takes to deal with this. Why? Because we need to be acquitted of our sins. And here's the thing. Let's say, for instance, that you said, okay, I want to take somebody else's punishment for the wrong that they've done. You could only do that if you yourself were not guilty. But if everybody is guilty, who's going to take that? And so for sinful man, it is impossible. Is there such a person? Yes, Jesus Christ fits that bill. That's why I said today the salvation I'm talking about is biblical salvation because Jesus Christ is the only sinless man who lived on earth, who was fully human, who never sinned, and therefore his death, we read it at the very beginning, that his blood, that means his death, satisfies God's righteousness. What does that mean? It means that Jesus's death is enough that if we believe in him that God will look at us and say everything you've done is covered by what Jesus did. It's not that we've done anything but it's what Jesus has done for us. How do we become righteous? by an act of faith. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to climb Everest. We don't have to go on knees across glass shards or we don't have to uh, um, trek to Nepal or to India, go through the temples or wherever. No. We need to simply put our faith in Jesus Christ. What is an act of faith? Well, an act of faith is where we trust that what Jesus has said and done 
is sufficient, that it's true and that it is sufficient. And how do we do that? Well, we do that through confession. You know, at any point when we know we've broken a relationship, step number one is confession. I'm sorry. That's always, isn't it? Wherever you go, you will not gain any help if you don't confess that you have a problem. If you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, step one is, hi, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. You've got to confess. And we have a problem with that. You know, it's really easy to go through your mind. You know, if you've wronged someone, you think, okay, I'm going to go back and say sorry. But when you're standing in front of them, it's actually quite hard. But there is a humility in saying, look, what I did was wrong, and I'm really sorry. That's the first step that God requires for us to be made right with him. The second is to say, I'm going to stop living in a way that breaks your rules and that offends you and that makes you angry, and I'm going to change my way so that I'm living the kind of lifestyle that pleases you, God. And then we make a decision and we say, you know, I'm going to believe that the sacrifice of Jesus, that his death, I'm going to believe that it is sufficient to remove all of my sin. It is sufficient so that everything that I've done wrong will be removed. And then we make a decision to follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. It's a journey. When people put their hands up in a meeting and say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, that is the start of a journey, not the end of something. It is the beginning of something. And what's the result? Well, the result is this. <coughs> God forgives us. I tell you, that's a big thing. Have you ever been forgiven? Have you ever done something wrong and somebody says, look, I forgive you? Do you know how that feels? It's amazing. God forgives us. We do not live with guilt. Number two, God adopts us into his family. We become part of his family. We might be different colours, we might come from different backgrounds, from different nations, but here, those of us who have asked Jesus to forgive our sin, those of us who've confessed and who are following him, we are part of one family. Wow. And you don't get to choose, sorry. He gives us power to overcome sin. The things that we struggled with before, God says, now I'm going to fill you with power so that you can overcome that. How does that work? Well, we have to trust him in it. We have to have expectant hope that at the point of need, God will provide. And God gives us gifts to help meet humanity's needs. Isn't that another amazing thing? You know, the gifts that we have as a church are not meant for us in here. They're meant for the whole world to be blessed by. Gifts of healing, gifts of faith, gifts of miracles. You know, they are all there. Gifts of hospitality and generosity and leadership. They are all there to make the world a better place. God begins to walk with us day by day. It becomes a relationship that buds and flourishes. And if there's one thing that, that I know I regret in my life is that I'm not walking with God more each day. Do you ever sit down and have that quiet time and you just sense a, a real sense of God's presence or he speaks to you through the Bible and you think, why don't I do this more? 
It's a relationship. It's the same with any relationship. You, you know, you'll, you'll have a chat with somebody, you'll meet someone, say, you know, we must meet up. And then six months goes by. And then you see them again, oh yeah, we must meet up. And we can do that with God. But I want to say to you, the best thing you can ever do in your life is to have a daily time with God. That is the most important thing that you can do. God helps us to be more like Jesus. That's a big thing. We talk about Jesus today because 2,000 years ago he had such an impact on the world that he split time in two. Before Christ and after Christ. To be more like Jesus is an amazing thing. It means that we begin to demonstrate his character. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, the things I mentioned before, they become a part of who we are. People touch God through us when they experience the love that we have for them and the patience and the goodness and the kindness. And then last of all, when our journey on this earth comes to an end, God welcomes us into his eternal home, into heaven for all eternity. And so God invites us, he invites us into something that starts on the earth, that becomes better and better and better, and then it climaxes when he says, come now and live with me for all eternity. I wonder if you've made that decision. I wonder if you've put your faith in Jesus. You know, maybe you did it years ago and it's kind of dried up. Or you kind of think, I'm just not sure anymore. I don't feel anything. I don't experience anything. Maybe you want to renew that today. Maybe today you want to do something that says, God, I really want Jesus in my life. Perhaps you've never made that decision. Perhaps you feel guilt of the things that you've done wrong or you know that there is something missing in your life. Let me tell you, it's Jesus. You know, those of you who are younger, the real difficult thing is we tend not to learn from the older generation. But when you're a young person, believe it or not, your parents one day were young people. They were. They had hair. Their bellies were thinner. They could run and not get tired and all those things. Why am I saying that? Because everything that you experience may be in a different way, but they've experienced it too. The isolation, the loneliness, the awkwardness, the not knowing, the fear, all of those things. And I can say one who's now over 50, that the one thing that has been a constant in my life has been Jesus Christ. I got to know him when I was 16, and from 16, he has led me through everything in my life. And there have been some major things I've had to go through, but he has been with me the entire time. And I look and I think, I would never change that. I don't know where I would be had I not followed Jesus through on that. And so I want to encourage you today, decide to follow Jesus. Decide to make him the Lord of your life. Yeah, it'll mean some changes. You might not be able to watch certain things or do certain things because it's offensive to God. But he gives you way more back in return. He gives you his very self, his presence and his love that leads you through, through whatever you're going to face.
And so we're going to pray. I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to say it line by line. And if that's something that you want to pray, why don't you say that in your heart this morning? And this is for, for anyone, those uh, who maybe feel that their faith or their walk with Jesus has gone stale, or maybe you've never done that and you want to make it for the first time. So I'm going to pray, and in your heart, you can say these words as well. <coughs> Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I invite you into my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now I'm going to pray for you. If you've prayed that prayer, I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I want to pray this morning for everybody who has prayed that prayer. And let me tell you, I just have a real sense that some of you think, well, I've prayed this so many times. It, will God ever accept me back? Of course he will. And I want to say, if you've prayed this today, that Jesus, he's always loved you, but he's put you in right standing with God. God no longer looks at what you've done wrong and is angry about it. He sees that Jesus has made atonement for it. He is, his sacrifice has taken away all of that anger. And what is left now is God's blessing into your life. God's love into your life. And he wants to lead you in that. He wants to take your hand day by day and he wants to navigate you through all of the challenges that your life will bring. And Father, I pray, I pray this morning that those who've prayed that in earnestness, that they would know the forgiveness of their sins. I pray that you would feel them just going as he takes them away. I pray that you would baptise them with your Holy Spirit. Jesus said that those who follow him, he will give them a gift, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enables us. And I pray this morning that you would be filled to the full measure of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that there would be a joy in their hearts this morning. I pray that you would know a joy in your heart. A joy that's got nothing to do with circumstances or, or situations, but is just there because you feel the love that God has for you. And so Father, we thank you this morning. We ask that you would lead us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <laughs>